All right, happy Victoria Day to you and yours. We're coming to you live from our homes. Um, it's a shame that Queen Victoria died over 100 years ago. I think she would have loved that game on Saturday. Huge yeah. hockey fan. It was like the early infancy uh, of professional hockey, but she she could sense it was a growing sport, I think. She backed she would have, Yeah, she would have loved that display. The Toronto Maple Leafs living up to what they were supposed to look like in this series with just an absolute thrashing of the uh, Montreal Canadiens on Saturday to even the series up at once. Like this game's for Tavares and Vicky. And Vicky. <laughs> Vicky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We did it for you, Vic. You always believed in this game. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was... If that happened in game one, mm. that game on Saturday, I mean... We would have looked like geniuses, I suppose. All of us who were predicting a very short series, I think to this point still, I'm looking at this as a five-game series. Uh, but you can, you never know, because I think we were having similar conversations actually after game two against Columbus last year. After they lost game one, were shut out, I think, 2 nothing. Game two, they came back with a 3 nothing victory, and they looked full measure for that victory. Uh, and then it was a couple overtime games back and forth, and yada, yada, yada. You know sure. what happened. I don't think this year's team is last year's team. Uh, pretty clearly. Um, I have reservations, though. And and I think what I've learned... I think what I've learned through the loss in Game 1 is that I'm not ever going to give this team my trust until they earn it. Yeah. And that that regular season, as fun as it was, and as much as I do believe the Leafs are a good hockey team, it's belief... You watch the Oilers play, and is it all that impressive that Toronto's highlight of the season was doing what Winnipeg just did to Edmonton? I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is. Um, they got to keep doing that for the entire series. Let's bring in Justin Bourne, um, our guy, Hockey Central at noon, NHL and Sportsnet. So, yeah, I, listen, that was a great win, and I don't want to start with any kind of a negative tone because that's as good as I've felt in a long-ass time. That was as must-win as it gets – and they showed a lot of toughness, whether that was the unwillingness to engage in some of the Montreal um, rough stuff and taking power plays and finally getting over a hurdle and scoring some power play goals, whether that was falling down 1-0 in the series, falling down 1-0 in the game, and battling their way back and winning, having constant pressure, just you know, giving an ass-kicking in a game where they needed to and without their captain. That was an awesome win. Awesome, awesome, awesome win. But are you at the point where you're trusting this team now that they are going to do what they should do? Because I just, I'm not there yet. I need, I need the series win at this point. Yeah, I, you know, first off, I, I really thought that game was a, a product of the whole results versus process theory that we hear so much in sports these days. Like, they really just executed their process, and the results were there for them. They didn't do anything out of the ordinary. They didn't make a major overhaul. They just believe that what they've done has consistently been good enough, and they executed it as well as they have in a long time. You're right. There's a stretch in the second period where, like, I'm not sure Montreal had the puck. Mm -mm. You know, part of that was power play related, but, like, it just felt like Toronto having the puck and having their way with the game. You know, of course, saying that, 
I, I'm very cognizant of how playoff series work, and there's rarely any spillover from one game to the next. So I'm with you. I, I don't want to say, yeah, I trust that they're there and they found it now. I, I feel like I need to see them win a playoff series, and that sucks, yeah. but that's the position the last many years of the postseason has put us in. Yeah, no, this is just the reality. I think that there's – it's so funny the ways – the different ways you can look at the series, right? One is, well, Toronto actually was just as dominant in the second period before game two – where they thumped Montreal and they controlled the play for basically the first, you know, 16 minutes of the period. And Montreal got what was a miracle shorthanded goal to pull away from Toronto and to win a hockey game. And it required Toronto just, you know, only getting one past carry price coming off. Of, or you look at it as Montreal split this series. They're going home. They're feeling great. That's all they would have ever asked for. Getting two against Toronto was basically a non-starter. This is the best you would get and that they're the team that's feeling good. I I am still in the spot of with you where it's the Leafs process has been better and the result has been I'm sorry but it, it's just it still felt unlucky. But I, I just I do believe that there is something about being able to close and being able to like maintain that consistency and being able to overcome a hot goalie and I I that's the part I need to see them prove. That's the part I'm just I'm not as uh I'm not as deep in the waters on. Uh, oh, sorry. If you've been a part of hockey Twitter for a long time, you know who Down Goes Brown is. Uh, and yeah. he, he tweeted at the start of that period when they were up 3-1. Like, do you think the Leafs will give up the 3-2 goal in the first minute or like in the first five minutes type of thing? Because it just felt like the Leafs were going to make you struggle for it because they always have in the past. But I remember at the start of this season talking with you guys after they acquired TJ Brody. And the one thing that we found as a difference was like, it felt like they could close hockey games. You know, yeah. it felt like they had defensemen they could put on the ice that you could trust and there wasn't going to be the Jake Gardner, or the Cody Ceci moment, right? And that's kind of how it felt in that game. Like, it felt like, okay, well, if we keep, if we like all our D pairs, like Sandine and Bogosian look great too. If we like all our D pairs and the, and the forwards are even decent, we're in a pretty good spot. So it felt, this Leafs team feels more capable of closing out a, a tight game than previous iterations. I would agree with that. Um, I would have said at the beginning of the season that they looked more capable of scoring on the power play than they had in, <laughs> in years previous, except it hadn't happened. Uh, they have their first two power play goal games since like early March in that hockey game, which is ridiculous. Uh, and in a, a 4-1 hockey game, kind of important. Power play, very important in game one as well. Uh, we talked about process and results. The process was pretty good for the first couple of power plays in game one. And I guess kudos to Sheldon Keefe for sticking with Rasmus Sandin on the power play for, for game two. Uh, he has the big goal. What, what did you think yeah. about the process on the power play? Yeah, I think that's that's not a small story, Ben. Like having, Keeping Sandin in the lineup was like they didn't panic. You know, it would have been real easy to be like, oh, my God, the guy we've used forever in Travis Dermott is sitting out, and it's kind of unfair he's out in the first place. Uh, Sandine is you know, on the highlight reels getting beat for the, the game winner. He's on for both goals again. So it would have been really easy, really justifiable for everyone to say, well, he had to go back to, to Dermott there. But he didn't. You know, they went and they looked at the tape, and they said – you know, we actually like the way that Sandine played in a lot of the smaller moments that maybe, uh, you know, your, your casual fan didn't pick up, and we feel like there's more upside with Sandine. And if you look around the North Division, all you have is coaches playing, as cons playing it as conservatively as possible. You know, even the Montreal Canadiens has got Cole Caulfield sitting in the press box there, who's, I think, inarguably their best scorer already. Um, you know, you look at the Edmonton Oilers, Evan Bouchard is in the press box as one of their best offensive defensemen. 
Um, and, you know, the, all their fans are in, in an uproar. They can't get him in. So for the, the Maple Leafs to go in the other direction, go Engvall, go Galchenyuk, keep Sandin in. You know, they, they're going with skill and, and talent there, which I thought is, is the way to go when you're against a team that, that is underskilled. Yeah, I part of the reason I was so bullish about this series going only five games is that I just I think that it's a, a really really good matchup for Toronto in the sense of they just have too much skill to get kept pace with Montreal, who just is not able to score. And once Montreal puts Cole Caulfield into the series, which what is is that going to happen tonight? Like I don't know how you could go through a game like to. last last game and and simply say, well, we're hoping for the same thing. Like I, I thought it was hilarious that so many Montreal fans were saying, well, you spent half the game on the power play and you got half the game of the power play. It's like, yeah, you saw why, right? Because the yeah. other team could not hang and they never had the puck. And the only way that they were trying to get into the game was by being physical and taking penalties. And like that was the way for them to get it back. So I got to imagine Caulfield comes in. But yes, Toronto leaning in to what they do works more because of the thing that Bourne said at the very beginning of this, which is they are better equipped to close games. They have more, better personnel to close games. They have a goaltender who right now has done... I, Jack Campbell to me has actually been like a slightly underrated story. Not that he's had to do anything spectacular, but this is a guy who's a career backup who we worried about nerves and who has gone long periods now where he has not felt a puck and he's still come through with big saves and he hasn't let in like a bad squeaky goal that you look at and go, oof, like that's really horrific, Jack. Like that's that's one where you don't have it. So you feel way better about them protecting leads. You don't feel as though Montreal is going to have some dominant group. And it was the main reason why I said take Riley Nash out of the lineup because who the hell was Riley Nash trying to slow down on Montreal? Tyler yeah. Toffoli? Like you're trying to hard line match Tyler Toffoli, Nick Suzuki? That shouldn't matter. So I like the way Keith rolled those things out. I want to start with this though and like get back to the things that matter with this series. Do you know why ultimately I believe the Leafs are better positioned than they are in years past? One is definitely the defensive commitment that this group has and their ability to slow down a team like Montreal and not uh, get caught up in that low event game and lose it. But number one, more than anything, is Austin Matthews. Like I can't believe that we've taken this long to start talking about him. Everything, like, that was everything you want to see from a superstar in a must-win game. I, the level of confidence that I have in Toronto is strictly based out of I cannot imagine <laughs> a guy like Austin Matthews playing this way and having no peers. Who's his peer in this series? Mitch Marner, like, maybe we'll talk about that, but th Mitch Marner and Austin Matthews play on the same line, and that's where the comparisons stop. Wait. Like. One guy is one of the most dominant players on the planet and is playing like it. He's throwing the body around. Like when he nailed Brennan Gallagher, that's about as awesome a play that he's made in his career. That's someone who's dinged <laughs> up, who's getting back. I'm serious. Like Austin Matthews, one of the biggest criticisms of him that we used to have is this guy doesn't know how to use his body. That's out the window. He's throwing like hits. Times he's this shielding year the puck. He's led his team in hits this season. How many Imagine times does Austin Matthews – sorry, just last thing there, yeah. Born. How many times does he come into the offensive zone when they're trying to get a zone exit and he just completely disrupts a play and you go, oh, wow, what a play with his stick and with his body where now it's chipped back into Toronto's end and they got possession back again or they're on the forecheck again. Like, he was unstoppable in that game. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I'm going to go back and look it up. I think in 2017, I wrote an article about his hits per game. He was like 480th in the league or something like that. It's like he's not that guy anymore, which everyone has kind of been waiting for. Frankly, he was this good against Columbus the year before, too, I think. Like, this is, sure. yeah. 
he's got this this level of his game. But there was also a shift uh, at the start of the second period where it was an even strength shift, and he had the puck for the whole shift, and no one else got to play hockey. It was unbelievable. Like, you know, he bats pucks out of the air with ease and tames them and, and takes them back. He is so effective aside from his shooting game, which is like, you know, primarily where we focus. So, yes, it's a level of dominance that, you know, only, uh, only Connor McDavid can claim to be anywhere close to in the league right now. Yeah, I just – I know he's got great playoff numbers. So he was already a playoff performer. But there is just something different about him this year. I'm so like the level yeah. of confidence, the smiling, the laughing through plays, the just the way he's acting on the bench, the way he's acting in his post game interviews, all of it is just seeping of a guy who is like it's like that uh what's that Marvel movie called where Avengers, the the guy gets all the rings, you know, and he starts Thanos. like he collects all the rings, Thanos, and he starts to like show off the glove. He's like, Look at me now, I got all the rings. That's how I feel about Austin Matthews right now. Is he's just putting it all together. He's Thanos, he's got all the rings, and the Montreal Canadians are just like, We're doing the best we can and he's like, I don't care, I'm Thanos. I'll make you disappear. <laughs> yeah, I'll make you turn into ash, and that's what's going to happen if he keeps playing this way. Yeah, no, it's it is another level, and it's it's a lot of fun. Um, you know the the whole thing about driving a line. Remember, remember for a while there, it was like should Matthews drive a line and Marner could drive the other line. I suddenly feel like Marner needs Matthews. <laughs> I don't know. Um, maybe maybe that's a direction you you wanted to go with this, but you know his his play in the postseason is. Was piling up the past two postseason, the, the games where you're not really comfortable with his performance in the postseason are piling up. I don't know what's a big enough sample where you start to go, ah, oh, man, what's going on with Marner in the postseason? But it's kind of getting there for me. Yeah. yeah. So this is something that I was texting you about. And so I, I think Marner's obviously a very good player. What I really don't understand or what I feel like maybe my eye is not educated enough to be picking up on because like, I can understand that he's a responsible player that Keith really trusts. And that's why in a game one when Tavares goes down, he plays something ridiculous like 27 minutes. But I just haven't noticed Marner enough. And the times I have noticed him, it's been like a lot of indecision and some falls yeah. and... Just not a lot of high-level playmaking that you would anticipate from somebody who's a high-level playmaker and who played the way that he did in the regular season. And all I would say is, based on, again, this is just like I test watching these games, I cannot for the life of me understand how anyone would look at what William Nylander's doing and Mitch Marner's doing and say that these two guys are doing like stuff that means Marner should be playing six more minutes a night. No, no, Nylander is is been excellent. Absolutely. the The thing my, I've noticed with Marner is, you know, one of his real strengths. Oh, did I cut out? You still got me? No. Yeah, we got you. Okay. Yeah. What one of my uh, what one of the things I've noticed is one of Marner's real strengths is slowing the game down to his level. Right. Like, no matter how fast the game is, when Marner gets the puck, everything goes into slow motion a little bit, and he has more poise and patience, and he can outweight people uh, to a degree that most people aren't comfortable with, and all of a sudden something opens up, he makes the pass, and it goes in. I find in the postseason, he, he, he holds it even longer. Somehow in a game that is so fast, he thinks that like going, holding it for that extra second is the, is the key. A great example is when he tried to go around Carey Price and take it below the goal line and back for a stuff uh, on that play. If he just shoots it on his backhand, it goes in the net. You know, So I feel like 
I don't know. The, he knows his strength is slowing it down, and he slows it down too much. And that's been my complaint with him on the power play. I know we, we haven't uh, talked in a week here, so maybe you guys haven't heard me on the radio saying that Mitch Marner on power play one is what's been driving me absolutely mental. But it's because it's of that. He gets the puck, and the play dies. Like, he holds it for so long. And I know that's been a strength of his, but there, there's a point where he's just holding it for too long. No, that was a frightening play on the power play you're talking about in the second period where you're like, you, you wonder if it's a confidence issue. Like, what is that where you can see the entire 4 by 6 wide open and Carey Price out of position? Again, it's on the back end, so it's, I guess, a little bit more difficult. But that that was was terrifying, especially considering the five-game series he had against the Columbus Blue Jackets a season ago and especially the comments after game one. Now, he has had good playoff moments, though, right? He was this team's yeah. best player, and I what was it the first uh, Boston series? But I, I I don't know what that is. Like, do oh, you he's count? never put a, together a complete series, in my opinion. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's had he good got games hurt in that series. Yeah, yeah, in game in one. Series. But that was the excuse was that he blocked a shot, and then he was awesome in that game, and then he blocked a shot and wasn't. wasn't he but great no, no, against no, no, Washington. No. <laughs> you're <laughs> we're going back, man. Wasn't he? Like you're asking yourself, like you have, you can prepare for this, but no, he's not. He is not put together by my estimation, an incredible playoff series, not one that is up to the standards of someone who is a now, you know, $10 million player. Um, he's not looked as he's, he just hasn't looked dominant. And yes, you do have to wonder, I think like if he's not playing with Austin Matthews right now, how big a focal point he becomes like, in terms of what media coverage is. This all gets back to kind of the same thing, though, which is just assessment of this team and assessment of this series right now. And and I would say that so far, Toronto has just been the... They've been the way better team. And that a lot of the feeling of Montreal and doing this stuff, like if we're just removing all of the fan equations and all the emotions of this, it's hard not to see this as they've got the best player going better than anybody else. They, once again, have proven that they've had, like, great depth, because I thought Engvall stepped in, and he was awesome. I thought Kerfoot stepped up, and he was awesome. I, like, they don't have anybody that I'm circling and saying, wow, this is a major problem. Like, we're focusing on Marner as, hey, maybe he's not dominating the same way that we would like him to. Right. But ultimately, like, it hasn't been a problem. I don't know what Toronto's problem has been so far. Other than power play, which they scored two goals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, the, 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 first, the first game was a just... Almost, almost impossible to break down because it's tough to know what the effect of the John Tavares situation was. You know, from an emotional standpoint, they shot three pucks over the glass. Mm-hmm. You know, like it was just a really uh, a random game, and that happens in hockey sometimes. But you're right; from that last game, really tough to nitpick anything. So, in the interest of elevating something, the guy you mentioned, Engvall, was, was one I know that you keyed on for me. Yeah, Alex Kerfoot was one of the best Toronto Maple Leafs and going into this year again to throw it back to our earlier conversations at the start of the season we said I remember you guys asked me like what's the the X factor what's like a random thing that the season hinges on and it was Alex Kerfoot because if he was good then they had three lines then they had a penalty killer then they had like it really shored up the the depth all throughout the lineup of Alex Kerfoot was good mm-hmm. and last night or sorry the night before he was everywhere he was skating he was on pucks he was making good plays he was great on the in, on special teams like I love this performance, and when he's good, and that line is good, the Leafs look like a wildly different team, and they win games going away. So he's a bit of an X factor for this team that when he's on, it changes the, the complexion of their forward group. Yeah, I thought Kerfoot was great, and this is a big win moment for Dubas right now, all around. Where with Connery handled... suspended. 
Well, just, yeah, he's he handles the Tavares media conference with, like, perfect execution. And I know that I'm probably the only person that kind of cares about that stuff and is overly judgy about those things, but I, I just think that he, he hit all the right points and he set the tone for it. And it's someone who I just believe genuinely cares about his players as, like, human beings, and that comes through very, very clearly. And, yeah, I just, Kadri suspended and Kerfoot plays what I think was his game of his life as a Toronto Maple Leaf. is like It's fortuitous timing for him, I would say, uh, yeah. especially in the absence of the $11 million captain. No, Engvall is just, so, I, I, again, not everything's going to be perfect. I thought Galchenyuk was like mostly forgettable, but that's Alex Galchenyuk. Unless he's oh. making a play that results in a goal, you're probably not going to be talking about him, unless yeah, it's for a negative reason. Good. Right, but I'm going to say that this guy is what? Now, your 14th forward? Yeah. He's your 14th forward, and he wasn't overly spectacular in a series. I think that speaks pretty well to your depth. But Engvall, I, I'll just say this about Engvall. We're coming back to guy status. Like, this is <laughs> – that we have joked and we have made light of Engvall on the show for many times, and he scored a bunch of goals at the end of the season in some meaningless games, and I didn't really know what to make of them. And I – I just trusted him when he was on the ice. It felt like he was moving the play forward and he was able to control the puck. He drew a penalty. He was threatening at not times. Not afraid like, to shoot. Not afraid to shoot. And someone you can throw it on the penalty kill. His length is obviously a massive asset. Like, th there are times where you can see why Engvall's an NHL player, where it's just like he's got all the attributes. He's got the speed. He's got the size, blah, 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 blah. But there's always just been something missing. And I actually thought for him to come in and play that game the way that he did was one where even if you had a healthy Tavares at this point, I don't think you could take that that version of him out of this lineup. Yeah, you can see why Keith wants to choke the guy out sometimes, even though that would be no small task with a neck that size. No. Because when he's you gotta good... you got to get some you got to get an assistant. <laughs> <laughs> third hand yeah. on that yeah. thing. But, I mean, you can see it's like, God, he can be so good and the only times he's so good is when they make him walk the plank like right before they punt him off the boat entirely he's like amazing so i there are these people that like you just they can't they can't self-motivate they you know they for whatever reason they need to feel like their job is on the line to give their best effort and when they do holy smokes like what a valuable contributor he can be so you know, I, I highly suspect he's going to play great. They're going to keep him in the lineup here. He's going to be a contributor for the next two or three games. And then we're just going to be happy with him. And then two games later, he's going to be out of the lineup because he's going to, you know, they're not going to be. I'm prepared gonna, for that. Yeah. I'm prepared for that. I, like, well, again, I don't mean, but I'm just like, dude, it's 11 minutes a night, right? That's mm -hmm. all you need is 11 minutes a night where you give, what, eight shifts like that? And yeah. That's the bar. Eight shifts of that. I just, like, everyone was clamoring for Adam Brooks, right? Everybody's like, Brooks, Adam Brooks. You got to go to Adam Brooks. Not I'm like, even close. Adam Brooks has never looked like that. Like, Man. Adam Brooks has had some nice finishes and some nice moments. Adam Brooks is a maximum eight minutes a, a night guy, and you're definitely not just throwing him into this series cold and he impacts it that way. Like, you're right. Not close. Pierre Engvall can do that. And, like, I don't know, man. I feel like if they go to Adam Brooks yesterday – or, sorry, on Saturday, that they don't get nearly that same result. Benny, I know that you wanted to weigh in on this, too. Well, I was just going to talk about the decision-making when it comes to Sheldon Keefe, because we mentioned it with the Sandine thing, and it looks great in retrospect and obvious in retrospect. Uh, I mean, he spent a lot of time with the Sandine working with Power Play 1, so to go away from it after one not-so-great game, 
maybe is uh, yeah something that was never going to happen. But you could you could see the the pieces aligning for that decision to be made and people not killing it. But he doesn't, and it pays off in spades because they look much better on the power play, and he has a power play goal. When it comes to Riley Nash, this is a guy that I get it was not the the key piece of that trade, but his GM went out and acquired him to play in the playoffs. Like, there's just no question about it. And we spent weeks and weeks and weeks talking about how that third line with Riley Nash looked and, and penciling him in for the postseason. Yep. And then to go away from him after one game and have it pay off the way it did in game two, I, got, I feel like not a lot of coaches would have the, the stones to do that, especially considering this is a guy that your GM mm. went out to, to go and acquire. Yeah, I'm interested to see how this plays out with Nash because, like, I love the idea of his of him as a guy on the outside who's available. You know, when you go play Colorado and you know you need to go against Nathan McKinnon, you're up a goal and you got to you know shut down the the top line of the Abs or whoever in the final minute. Like, I love the idea of having someone who is purely a shutdown guy. But obviously, it just makes no sense to have a no event hockey player who creates nothing in either direction against a team that doesn't create yeah. anything. Yeah. So what are you gonna do though? Not play him for two rounds and then try to roll him out against Nathan McKinnon like night night. So, you know, you got to get him in at some point, and, and it's not the best thing to have him in in this series. So I don't know how they want to go about doing that. I'm guessing they think circumstances might dictate that for them naturally because it's hockey and people get injured and suspended, and you never know. He may just get to plug in. So I think you keep him out until circumstances put him in. But, you know, tough to just do that when everyone's healthy right now. So I actually think Keith deserves criticism for putting him in in the first game. Yeah. Um, to me, that was a pretty big mistake. And when they lost Tavares and they were searching for more offense and they really couldn't find it because they've got a lot of old guys who can't drive play. And then you've all of a sudden got a third line where there's no skill. Um, it became pretty clear that it was going to take a absolutely incredible moment from Austin Matthews' line or from William Nylander in order to like score a goal. And... Yeah, you can't account for a Tavares injury, and that's a big part of it, losing that line. And that was a luxury you could have when you had two lines that could really drive play. But dropping in an ice-cold Riley Nash into a series where he doesn't really necessarily fit, I, I think like that was actually them saying, we want him for later in the playoffs. He does make more sense for later in the playoffs, so we're giving him reps in a game where he doesn't make as much sense. Like Engvall played well down the stretch. He's been on this team for a he long did. time. He shouldn't have been taken out of the lineup for a guy that has not done anything with your organization in a tone-setting game in one where, you know, Toronto's up 2 nothing right now. The series is 100% over. Like, Montreal's not coming back from that deficit. So I, I think it's good that he ended up making the move, but to me the move was actually really obvious. Again, I'm an idiot, and I drew that conclusion after game one that Engvall was coming out. Like, before, you know, like I knew that or Engvall was coming in and was going to draw in for Riley Nash immediately. I'm like, he's playing – he played eight minutes in that game. <laughs> He played eight minutes. You're not doing that with your quote-unquote shutdown guy against a team that doesn't have shutdown players. So I kind of think that that calculation, if they end up losing this series and we look back on things and everybody's picking all of the nits, that's actually going to be one of the areas where, you know, you're not going to give Keefe a lot of praise, I don't think. You're going to be looking at it and saying, what were you thinking with that? 
I, I, you know, I think that decision is made based on past experience with this same group and saying at times we've looked like the younger, inexperienced team. Like in every series, you think they get beat by a Washington team that's older and more experienced and a Boston team and, you know, even a Columbus team that maybe not more experienced, but certainly an older, more veteran heavy team. You know, I think that's the conclusion. You go, OK, well, we can't you know, we want to dress a lineup that is is built like a playoff winner. And I think you're trying to be someone you're not at that point. You're playing dress up instead of playing your best lineup. So that brings me to this, which is like, if I'm just being honest and I'm watching these games and I think who can have more of an impact on a game, like, yeah, you mentioned how you didn't think Galchenyuk was spectacular. I just don't see any reality where Galchenyuk is less valuable right now than Joe Thornton is outside of the, like, Joe Thornton's on the ice component. Like, I haven't seen anything from Joe Thornton or Wayne Simmons that would just, like, validate either of those guys play like the only reason that I like Wayne Simmons out there is because I want to see him fight Sherratt right like there's no <laughs> other reason right now that I like Simmons or I like Thornton other than it's like the intangibles but like again if you're moving forward and you're telling me who do I want in a playoff series right now based on merit it would be Engvall and it would be Kalchenyuk and it wouldn't be either of those guys but it is a tough balance because I do think that the stuff they bring matters like it's just like it's not as easy to see so like I don't know <laughs> I'm having yeah. a tough time with it so far like if they lose this series or they lose in the playoffs I, I do wonder how big that the the veteran thing is going to get circled and say well did they go against the thing they wanted to or did they you know like it's going to be a hard thing to parse out especially for people like me who said they need to get more mature and tougher yeah i'm you know and it's fair to struggle with decision too cuz you know it was a big thing that happened in game 1 with John Tavares it was significant no i mean it, it was scary to watch you know, as people who aren't, who don't know him personally, like we weren't sure what was happening with him. You and I, JD, we were texting about like feeling literally sick during that game. Oh, I could barely it, watch the rest of that game. I'm not joking. Like I, yeah. I could never put myself back into the game. I can't imagine what those guys were going through, having seen it and gone through that. Like, dude, Jason Spezza standing beside him, and John's so out of it that later he says, "I was recognizing your voice," but obviously in the moment, like not having a single coherent thought come out of his mouth. For Spezza to be standing there, worried about his friend, and then go out and try to play the rest of the hockey game, like I, I don't like, that's a level of compartmentalization that I'll never, ever, ever be able to even remotely relate to. Yeah, no, no, totally agree. And like, I'll be honest, one of the things that made me a little sick to my stomach is like when Tavares gives the thumbs up, it's like a thumbs up to him because he's lying horizontal, yeah. so it's like a sideways thumbs up. So it's like his brain is not doing it, you know? It kind of made me ill. Anyway, so the point is that's gross and it was awful and having being able to turn that around, how much of that is on having Joe Thornton and having leaders, having older men in the room who are able to say Hey, look, I you know I know that was hard, but like pick up some of these younger guys who are like, what is going on? What just happened? How important was that? I don't know. I just feel like that leadership was crucial in these moments. And then for them to turn turn it around and 48 hours later win a game five one, how important is that? I don't know because Thornton on the ice, his contribution so far has been not good in this series. It's been bad. He's I, really bad in game one. Yeah. Well, I mean he directly resulted in the two goals against in game one. So yeah, it was quite bad. It's a bit literally as bad as you could be. I don't discount that stuff. I just also, and, and I, I have to believe that part of the reason guys have become different levels of leaders, like I, I think someone like Austin Matthews is soaking up a lot from someone like Joe Thornton. 
and that there is a value in having someone like that, right? It's just, it's always the question of, you know, what is the cost and what is the benefit? It's, it's hard for us to actually be able to see, especially when we're outsiders. But I did think it was pretty interesting that when we asked Patrick Marlowe, when he was on the show on Friday, hey, who's the voice who would talk? He said it would be Morgan Riley. He didn't mention Joe Thornton, who he's played with all this time. He didn't say that it would be Wayne Simmons. Again, he didn't play with Simmons, but still. He said that he would assume that it was Morgan Riley. And, yeah, I actually thought that spoke volumes. And, and Riley was awesome in Game 1, and I, I threw a lot of credit at his feet. Wasn't as brilliant in Game 2. That was kind of the Sandine game. But, yeah, um, I think that they have... They have a lot of guys who should be leaders at this point now, regardless of like who else is in there kind of thing. You know, like yeah. Morgan Riley yeah. and Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. Like, you guys are supposed to be a leadership core at this point. Yeah. No, it's a good point. You know, and uh, another factor here is these guys, these older guys like Simmons and Thornton specifically, probably Bogosian. You know, it's par- part of why Spez is here. Part of what they're doing here is trying to win a Stanley Cup in Toronto. You know, they want to come. They they came here for an opportunity, a team they think they could win, but, you know, it's Toronto. It, it means a lot to them personally. And I feel like taking them out of the lineup after a bad game in playoffs, like that wasn't no, what they can't. agreed to. You know? Oh, there's no way. But again, this is like a weird thing that they're in right now where there's this mix of, well, there's certain guys who are owed something. There's certain guys who are not owed something. You guys came here for this. Like, and Alex so Galchenyuk get... is owed nothing. Right. No, absolutely not. Of course. Of course not. Uh, I just, yeah, I thought it was kind of a tough play when you're like, well, we're taking out Travis Dermott, who's been here. Like, I, we have JVR on later in the show, and mm-hmm. I was looking at the 2018 roster. Three years ago, there's like six Leafs that are still on this team, and I Travis Dermott's one of them. <laughs> and yet, we're all like, you owe Travis Dermott nothing, but Wayne Simmons, you owe him the world. It's like, you guys, yeah. <laughs> it's just a weird way that we come to these things. Anyways, let's take a break. Uh, let's reset this. I do want to touch on the Oilers just a little bit with you, um, but I, I have a couple more things from this series, including the coaching and, yeah, the adjustments that we might see going into tonight because you wrote a really great article on the Leafs going into game two, and so let's pick your brain on that next. Sounds good. It is. Good shows. Leafs Hour. Sports at 590 The Fan. Hey, it's a good show on Sports Up. I'm not a fan. I'm JD Bunkus, Ben Ennis, Justin Bourne on a Monday. Follow us on all of our different socials at JD Bunkus, at JT Bourne, at Sportsnet Ben. And you can subscribe to this podcast, Leafs Hour, a good show. Uh, glad we didn't do a reaction podcast on Saturday night because I thought about it. But maybe we'll do some of those later on in the playoffs. Um, so, Bourne, one of your biggest strengths is watching video and predicting. Um, where the series could go and what needs to change. And, and I thought that this was interesting. So this is a quote from Sheldon Keefe. He says, quote, Montreal has made it very clear that they want to be very physical. I think the term they used was they want to make it a war. If you're going to do that, you're, going to get, you're at risk of getting penalties called against you. That's our job as a power play to make them pay for that. End quote. You're probably a little less... 
um, concerned with Toronto's power play and being a little bit more physical when you don't feel as though their power play has anything going. And we touched on this off the top, like actually how much has changed versus, you know, you getting a couple that go in the net. But again, if you give that much talent, that much opportunity, you really do have the potential to sway the series. I I wonder, you know, what you think the biggest adjustments are going to be for Montreal and whether or not they maybe get off their game a little bit in fear of having a scenario like the one we saw in the second period of game two, which was Toronto just getting chance after chance after chance until they were able to put the game away. Well, this is the, you know, when they've said in the years past about Toronto's toughness as their power play, which was, you know, eye rolls and punchlines. Like when you score on the power play, if I'm Montreal, in the room you have to have the conversation that you just can't take that many penalties. Like, you just can't. And so at five on five, you have to kind of dial it back just a tiny little bit, you know, where maybe you'd be able to be a bit more physical if you if you were shutting down their power play. And, and that could be all the room that the Toronto Maple Leafs need to score goals. So, um, you know, this is... I hate making uh, such positive predictions, but like I think Montreal's in real trouble. I just don't see that they have the personnel to make any adjustments to shut down the Leafs, you know, considering the way that Matthews looks right now. I just don't see what it is necessarily. So, you know, right now, the, the biggest difference on the power play between Game 1 and Game 2 for the Toronto Maple Leafs is, first off, Matthews is on his one-timer side, which I think presented a threat that makes them a little bit more desperate and a little bit more stretching out, all that. But also, they, they attacked off the entries on their power plays. So one thing that the Leafs really suck at is getting up on their power play and, and set up in the zone. Like, from when the puck is behind their net to when they're set up, they're bad. So last game, they took it right to the house. Like, instead of trying to, you know, get set up perfectly and establish it on the outside, they went right to the net. And they got three grade-A scoring chances, including the Sandine goal, which came off an entry. So for Montreal, a big adjustment would have to be uh, tightening up that power play for, or that penalty kill four check for them and stopping Toronto coming up through, uh, through the middle of the ice. What's Wayne Simmons' role here? Because uh, he starts the game on Saturday, which was a curious mm-hmm. situation. It, it uh, ended up in nothing. Um, he was expected to bring physicality to this team in an area of need. They're taking advantage of their power plays now, and Ben Sherrod is running around. So you enjoy them taking a step back and taking the power play opportunities, but what's his role here if they're just supposed to do the Austin Matthews thing of just laughing every time they get cross-checked across the face and Shea Weber apparently fined $5,000? What is Wayne Simmons' role here? Well, I think it's that they have the option to not just laugh every time they get cross-checked. When you have no toughness and you laugh every time, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you're scared. That's fake. You know, it, it, I don't know. It, it feels like there is the option for him to be tough. You know, I, I thought a lot about that Simmons start. I, I wish I had actually. So I rarely text Sheldon from my days uh, working with him. That's what I, I really want to ask him about. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about it a lot. And I was thinking, like, okay, he wasn't out there to fight directly. So to me, it's like Montreal's game plan would have been at the start of the game to go out and run Toronto through the wall, right? You win the first game, you go out there, and you just pound them and let them know it is going to be a war. I I think the idea with Simmons being there is just like, if it happens, we're going to punch you in the face. So we're going to play hockey, just so you know. Like, it's kind of a, everyone is setting the parameters, setting the tone for the game, that they're not going to just stand idly by and let Montreal try to make it a war. Does that make sense? Yes, I actually was super disappointed that there was not a fight in that game. Um, (laughs) I'm sorry, but it's true. Uh, The Leafs had the game in hand, and... 
I know that you don't want to do something where it's like you get a suspension or whatever, but like Montreal and Sherratt seem pretty willing to engage. And I don't like it. I don't know if Wayne Simmons punched the memory out of Sherratt's brain of when they fought the first time. <laughs> But I like I I just can't imagine being Sharon thinking like no let's do this again and it'll I'm sure be a different result I was a little tired that day like no 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 there's like a very very big discrepancy between your two abilities um, I just also was thinking maybe part of it is that if Simmons does fight him it's more of an acknowledgement like that you guys are winning that you're doing something that is working that like we're actually bothered by it enough where we're going to engage in that versus the Matthews thing where it's you laugh, you laugh, you laugh. You know you have a nuclear option in in Wayne Simmons. You know you have a guy like Nick Foligno, who I think is tougher than anybody else on Montreal. Like, You think Nick Foligno drops the gloves with Sherratt and it's not exactly what happened with Corey Perry? Although Corey Perry, I actually think, didn't get enough credit for like not punching back because he actually took it because he's old school and that was badass. But... (laughs) It was. It really was. And, like, a lot of people pointed that out, and I totally agree with them that, like, Corey Perry ate that because he just knew that he needed to eat it. And I know that's not for everybody, but, like, that's the sport, and he did it. Um, But, yeah, either way, uh, I think the Leafs can be tough. I think they can fight. Um, I just think that they know, like, hey, um, we're we're not meant to lower ourselves to your level. We're prepared to do things, but – as long as you're the ones losing it and playing unhinged and knowing that you're going to have to slash and to grab and to sucker punch and to cross-check, that our guys are going to eat it and it's going to suck, but we're going to continue to laugh it off and take those power plays and dominate and know that that's your only hope is um, hurting somebody. Yeah, this this hinges, to me, this series right now, hinges on what Carey Price is going to do. Yeah. You know, because... Uh, it know, always did. I, yeah, I guess it always did. It's true. It's like if Carey and if Price Jack is, Campbell would be a sieve, and so far Jack Campbell's been solid through too. Right. Yeah, and just like that game one where Montreal wins, you can see the Columbus series with Merz Lickens and Corpusello happening. Where like, okay, if they get nine forty save uh, save percentage over this series, and then there's a softy or two the other way, that's kind of where it goes. You know, I, I don't believe that Carey Price is the goalie he once was. And I think a seven-game series is going to, at some point, expose that. But that is the, the last hope for Montreal, is, is he goes to the guy who's commensurate with his reputation. Yeah, I don't think being physical is enough. I just don't. I, I don't think that it's being enough versus a team like this Toronto team. Again, I need them to prove it to me because I'm really um, – Game one was scarring from a standpoint of just being down 0-1 and John Tavares getting hurt and all these different things and knowing that the possibility existed. But you're right. like The same things that I was outlining at the beginning of the series, for the most part, remain very, very true. But, okay, so last one on the Leafs, and then I want to talk a little bit about the Oilers with you, is just, so you said you don't think Montreal has any adjustments. Is there anything that you don't think Toronto is taking enough advantage of, or was that pretty much a, a perfect game for them? Uh, yeah, I think it was just pr- pretty close to a perfect game. You know, the, in terms of the, you know, the physicality that we mentioned, but also just the the ability to get to the inside, which is something I've like, I beat that drum a lot, but it's because it's the truth. Like, the, you know, if they get inside and get chances, which is something they excel at, they're going to win hockey games, and they managed to do that in game two. Uh, the big thing is, I think, getting the doubt on Montreal's side that like they're just not good enough. You know, part of the problem with the Columbus series is that it was a best of five. 
let's not pretend there wasn't a chance to you know, Toronto couldn't have won that series if that's a best of seven series. Like they're the better team, you know, they were better a better team than Columbus, but it was scary because it was a shorter series. I feel like for Montreal to win three of the next five against Toronto, like there has to be some doubt in their ability to do that. And that's that's a big step to getting Toronto over the hurdle. A minor miracle it got to a game five, though. Uh, game I, I know, but you just scared me, actually, because you just made me realize that, like, now it is a five-game series. Like, you know, yeah. like, that's what Montreal yeah. has created is that it's yeah. like, we're like, it's a long series. Let's not pretend that seven games is a matter. I'm like, yeah, but it's not anymore. It's five-game series now. You just you just scared the uh, – like, I almost swore because I was just got so scared. I just gripped up. I just tightened up big time. Okay, so speaking of scared, um, man – my biggest thing with the Oilers has always been if this fails, which I knew it was going to eventually because look at the Oilers, what do you do? Because Ryan Nugent Hopkins needs a new contract, right? And they don't exactly have an abundance of salary cap space coming their way. Tyson Berry, who is an unrestricted free agent, so you get to shovel his money somewhere else because guess what they've realized over the course of the playoffs is that, like, there's no amount of points Tyson Berry can score where he's good. Um, <laughs> it's just not It's not a, a, a good math equation when it comes to his abilities. And um, I just don't know where they go. And, and I, I feel like we've okay. done this before where you say, hey, you've got the thing that's most important, which is two of the best five hockey players on the planet, but... The foundation is just so rot. I, I just don't know where you move from here. Like, there's nothing in the cupboards. There's no, like, real pieces on the blue line that you love, love, love that don't at least come with, like, heavy injury concerns. The goaltending's a mask. You still have the Koskinen contract on the books. Like, I, I, like where do you start? You know, their one of their major problems seems to stem from management. All of their management, all these Always. veteran leaders, guy, leader guys, who can't tease out the Connor McDavid effect on the players they play with. Like Zach Cassian has a good run with Connor McDavid, and they're like, "Give him a multi-year contract." It's like, are you guys mental? Why do we? Why do we know he's playing with Connor McDavid, but you don't? You know, Tyson yeah. Berry gets a billion points on the top power play unit with McDavid and Dreisaitl, and it's not. They might extend him. Like, that's, it, oh, you know, that's uh, if they do after this. It's like, yeah, you gotta like, oh boy, that's the worst contract in hockey. Sorry, go you on. You know, like, no, like Evan Bouchard. This, you know, one of the. Uh, if you talk, if you read a lot of Edmonton blogs, they think he is like currently the team's best defenseman, or, or talent-wise, he's there, and that yeah. you know, Bear is maybe their best defenseman with Nurse. Like they love some of these young guys, but. They just want to bang their head against the wall and keep rolling out, you know, defensive first players. And I don't know. They're just, I don't know what you do, man. Well, <laughs> I can tell you this. I can tell you this because I went and took a little peek at uh, the old Oilers cap sheet last night. So Nugent Hopkins is an unrestricted free agent. And I don't know what is like he's going to command, but it's not going to be $6 million. Like the price of the brick is going up. Um, you... You've got a bunch of RFAs who you're going to have to give something to that's more than their base level, right? Like, you know, uh, I think that I, – I don't know what Yamamoto's going to get, but it's going to be an interesting negotiation with whatever happens with him. Um, I, I look at their team and I say, you got one more year left of Darnell Nurse at 5.6 before he hits He's free agency. 10. And then that goes – yeah, I was going to say, like, He's he's gonna just say double it to start. Like we're not even beginning the conversation <laughs> without double it, and a blue line that already is like okay. Um, I I don't really know what it is you say you do here. Kind of like 
I, like I Oscar Clefbaum back. He's hurt. Sure, but again, but Oscar Clefbaum back is like that's the Oscar Clefbaum story. Is you get Oscar Clefbaum back, like until okay, you don't have him, yeah, until you don't have him again. And so like awesome, you're gonna get Oscar Clefbaum back. Did this team right now look like they're an Oscar Clefbaum away from being what they need to be, which is Stanley Cup champions? Like I I can't think of anything like. No, how, when's the last time a superstar, two superstars like this, were getting their prime squandered? Those two guys are going to be 25 and 26 years old next year. Like, primes as hockey players are no longer 29, 30. We're looking at the best versions of Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl uh, right now, uh, today, uh, tomorrow. And I just don't know how you're going to get to the place by next season where you're going to be able to capitalize on that. And that's the terrifying thing. Do I think that those guys could never win? They can never get there? No. It's just that the immediate future, the next two years, I don't know what the roadmap is for this team. To like, It just feels like they keep doing the same thing and they're going to continue to look the same way. Yeah, you don't want to see them... You know, as Ray Bork, uh, you know, at the end of their 30s, chasing one like Joe Thornton oh, or something, no. trying to find a way to, to get it done. Um, you know, the, the best comparison, I think it was Brandon Holmyard on Twitter saying, it's Mike Trout and Shohei Otani yes, with the Angels. I, know, I love that comparison. <laughs> you know? I love that. Like, give these guys a prayer to be in relevant yeah. hockey games. And, you know, to be fair, they, they lose two games in OT. But look at this series. Yeah, it's yeah. not about this series. This series is bad right now. I no. mean, it's not... It does not look like Tampa Bay and Florida. Like, a team or two is going to get eliminated in playoffs and from other series that would handle either either of these teams easily. I guess this is the point I'm trying to make, though, is that with Shohei Otani and Mike Trout, you can go out and spend money on Anthony Rendon, and you can go out and try and acquire pitches. There's no salary cap. And with the Toronto Maple Leafs, like, let's say this all goes um, haywire and they lose. You can trade... Some I, I'm not saying they would. I'm saying that you could trade pieces and completely revamp your roster. I don't see what the options are for Edmonton. Like, what are you going to do? You're going to trade Darnell Nurse? No. Who else on your team are you going to trade to change the complexion of your team? Like, you're you got to give up assets. They're paying James Neal almost six million bucks for two more seasons. How how are you getting off that without that giving right? up a first round pick? Like, yeah. okay, so you're going to give up first round picks, like something that you desperately need because again, your farm system is not loaded. What where do you go? Who's your trade piece? It's Darnell Nurse. One season of Darnell Nurse, or the guy that you mentioned is coming back for you in Oscar Clefbaum. But like, there's no route here. Like what you're yeah, just not going to H can't let him go. But that's what I mean. Like you're just not going to re-sign one of your best players, one of your best three guys, and you're just going to what give that money to down the lineup. I just don't know. There's normally what I love about sports, why I think the NBA is so fun, why I think the NFL is so fun. Like you can just you can dream on how your team gets better, and I cannot remember a scenario like this where it's like you have the two things that everybody wants, but I have zero clue how you improve it. It's wild. I, I can tell you that the thing that won't help is by extending Tyson Berry. Like well, they, yeah, duh. I, like, I mean, well, but it's, it's, it's real, man. They might. Go ahead. They might do it. I, I, I don't know. I, uh, the most trouble I've ever gotten in, in radio in my short radio career to date was someone asked me uh, two years ago, do I think Connor McDavid wants out of Edmonton? They were mired in the midst of the worst of the worst run for the Oilers. And I was like, if I'm being 100% honest, he probably does. I said he yeah. probably does. And I'm not saying that now. I don't think he wants out. But Neither I do I. think they're going to have to show him a path forward, at least a plan. 
you know, to, to keep him happy and otherwise just like you can't you can't frustrate your stars and let them just flounder without a path. There's no way if he goes through 2022 and it's this exact same result that that conversation is not going to become massive. I'm sorry. I'm like, I just don't see it. Have a point in the first two games, too. would have helped. Um, but, yeah, that was uh, pretty egregious. You did the uh, thing that everyone's always afraid to do. Way to go. Way to go. Yeah, way to have the stones. No, I did. Yep. Uh, <laughs> yeah, play him alongside Leon Dreisettle-Moore. Yeah, that would have helped. Uh, Mike Smith was abominable yesterday. How many times Warren... did Sid do that where he didn't score any points? When yeah, he, not uh, a lot. Yeah, especially as the favorite going down two yeah. games to none. Yeah, okay, so you lost a game that you shouldn't have lost in game three. How about the first two? Win one of those. Yeah. You know, I am uh, Homer Simpsoning into, into the bush. No. Yeah. Listening. <laughs> I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to tweet it. I'm not insane. Yeah, I'll yeah. just say it on the radio. Yeah, just That's get like... aggregated on some Edmonton blog later. Here, I'll say it. Yeah, Sid. Uh, better. Sid yeah. in the time. Better. <laughs> All right, Bourne. Uh, love you to death. Great uh, great stuff. Sorry we couldn't <laughs> talk about uh, golf. Hey, get that golf stuff off your normal Twitter feed. That's what I your know. golf you, feed is how for. How dare you? Yeah. Oh, no, my that's goodness. Just, that's horrid. It's like wow. a vine. It just creeped yeah. higher. Ah, I'll cut it. <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. See ya. All right, speaking of golf, we will get to Phil. We'll also get to uh, this crisis moment for the Toronto Blue Jays next. Good show continues. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590 The Fan. So it looks like after scoring just a total of two five-on-five goals through the first two games of the series, the Montreal Canadiens have decided uh, might be more important to try and create some more offense for today's game three as the series shifting to Montreal. Cole Caulfield, as we figured might happen at some point in this series, yeah. he's seen enough from the press box. He's he's analyzed the game. He's got his clipboard out, and he was doing his exits and O's enough, and he's like, I think I might be able to play in this series, and tonight will be the night for him as he draws in for the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, yeah, I hate that. I'm scared of that. They should have done that from the very beginning because you know how you win in this league is with guys who can score, and he is their best goal scorer by my estimation. If not, he's their second best. Mm-hmm. If very not, he's their third. By the way, thanks to Lance for playing the hip to start this segment because I really did feel like I know that. So they do the segment where they got Paul Langlois and uh, Rob Baker, right, from the hip, and they do that before the game. They play the hip montage, and I thought. Yeah, I know Gordani was a Bruins fan, and I know those guys, like, they all have, you know, some different allegiances, as was exemplified by that uh, that interview, but um, I don't care. That's the Ontario band, and I felt like that was a huge advantage for the Leafs going into that game. Like, I just felt like all the karmaic things were lining up, and... Part of the reason why I didn't go into a spiral was when they went down a goal was I was like, no, no, no. Like, that's fine. They used the hip montage. That's going to work out just fine. And even my favorite part of that interview was Langlois, like, being like, I'm sorry to Toronto. I'm I'm sorry. Um, Like, they made me. They made me. And I was like, yeah, like, my parents made me. I was like, yeah, that's the only excuse you could ever have to cheer for that team when you're not from uh, Quebec. But anyways, it, it is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. To me, I was buoyed most by the fact that the Toronto Maple Leafs have been the better hockey team over the course of yeah. a 56-game regular season. Sure. And even the majority you know me, though. of game one. No, I I'm about the voodoo. I'm about the things that you can't quantify. That's, that's my thing all the way. I'll take that to the bank. That montage, I locked it up. You couldn't find odds that were not more favorable for the Leafs. Like, I bet them at anything, any price. We'll see if our next guest agrees. Uh, Scored Stellick, host of Leafs Nation, pre and post game, joins us online right now. Did you know, upon seeing the tragically hip, that game two was in the bag for the Toronto Maple Leafs? 
I, I can't quite say that, Ben and JD. I, I, I shared the sentiment, though, that I felt uh, good about things. But and also, I do like the little karma, the little you know, little tweaks. I mean, that you know, come into uh, the, the narratives of different, particularly playoff series, and about those intangibles. So, you know, I, I liked Wayne Simmons' speech uh, to Kyle first intermission about the raw honesty in game number one and, you know, having to find it again in the dressing room. And then, for example, I love the way he played in game number two. So what, what's the then thing you're most interested in moving forward here that we can't quite quantify then? Let's start with this. Yeah, well, well, first of all, who would have expected what happened in period number one? Now we can put that in the, in the distant mirror. And, you know, J.D., like, it's not, it's not corny, you know, like the galvanizing thing about winner for John Tavares, that he's a guy that came back to Toronto, which we dreamt somebody would, like Steven Stamkos. And, you know, someone say uh, not about the Canadian dollar and the higher tax rate and all that stuff. And he came here, incurred the wrath of the New York Islander fans who had loved him before that. And, and uh, I, I think that was a real important statement that way. And I think... I think that's become an intangible uh, that way for the team in game number two. But, you know, just there's a simplicity as well that particularly five on five. I mean, this is the best team in the Scotia North by a country mile. And I can't believe that Montreal actually may have a worse power play than Leafs right now. I mean, like it's uh, it's that's hard to believe. So I, I just like that, you know, game, and, and then all those little these those other little spice pieces, whether it's the Simmons or whatever, you know, finding finding some kind of role because you know uh, Sheldon Keith, there was no depth in the bubble. There was there was no depth against the Boston Bruins to and so he's got a lot of different options he can try. I love that Pierre Engvall, for example, seemed to rise to the challenge after uh, being a healthy scratch in Game One. Yeah, and Pierre Engvall was great, and he's definitely worth discussing today, and we have discussed him, and Rasmus Sandin was great too. But Austin Matthews was Austin Matthews, right? And they don't win this series, and they don't look as dominant as they do five-on-five throughout the course of the entire year, save for those three games that he missed, without Austin Matthews at his absolute best. And this is now... I mean, it's a recurring theme. It's it's why you can forget to talk about him, because he you can set your watch to him come the postseason. He's been so automatic, but... The, the dominance that he can have over a hockey game on full display in game two. Yeah, I, I have not seen a comparable leap forward in, in my years about that. And that's not a knock against anybody else. And, you know, really it shows the absurdity that in the Mike Babcock era, I know, and I know it's invoked to kind of bash on Mike Babcock right now, but I was always checked about the ice time. Patrick Marlowe being on more in crucial times than Austin Matthew was. Mike Babcock having to fly to Arizona to appease Austin Matthews, who's, who's, who's not a high-maintenance star player. I mean, that was just ridiculous. You, your star player, you put him out there. Let him go. God, I and, that. You know, and, and yeah, and, and I mean, look at, the, look at the physicality he has that way. Look when Sherratt took the penalty on him. Austin's just kind of smiling that way, that kind of big, almost uh, goofy grin at that particular time. So he's being allowed to be dominant. And man, he's killing it. He's killing it. I mean, it's only it's only two games in. We're not getting ballots in yet for the Smythe Award, but this is this is exactly when he was picked first overall in Buffalo that you were envisioning best case scenario as a Maple Leaf fan. No, he's been great. He's been outstanding. It's also kind of a best case scenario for Rasmus Sandin after that disappointing game one to 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 continue to spearhead the power play and to get a couple of goals in in game two. Uh, are you comfortable enough saying that, I don't know, maybe not that the power play's fixed, that it's at least closer to being fixed? Yeah, I'll go with the latter there, uh, about closer. I, I, uh, I, 
boy, I just I don't understand how it went so awry as well, and uh, with all that kind of talent, and certainly. You know, in the playoffs, things like goaltending and special teams seem to matter more. But I, I, I hope this is kind of a jumping-off point, and we'll see mm-hmm. tonight and the rest that do they – right? because they've had one or two of these things that have just been kind of hiccups, and they've reverted back to uh, it not working. I, I, I like in Sandy's case that I know it's simple, and m- maybe we make it too simple when we say just, you know, get a few more shots on goal. Uh, I think even Letton in the brief time he played got one of those kind of power play or, or at least had the low easy shot on goal that can be deflected or what have you. So I, I'm optimistic that uh, th- this this last conundrum kind of can hopefully has been fixed. To me, it's just a matter of you can only get so many opportunities. It's like it's a blind squirrel gets a nut situation until there's more evidence that it's rectified itself like you know Montreal takes power plays all game long and they basically just say we don't have any faith you can score on this unit despite all this skill so we're going to continue to try to play our game which is uh rough 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 uh toughness tough to stuff this hitting slashing cross-checking whatever Toronto finally finds it and you know maybe a lot of this is confidence maybe a lot of this is just you know it had to go in the back of the net but we all thought that a little earlier, later down the regular season, when the Leafs finally snapped that over, what was it even? It like over fifty? Like it 10 was? Billion. Yeah, it was a lot. <laughs> when they finally snapped that streak, and you saw the elation amongst the group, you thought, "Oh, okay. Like now, these guys are going to get it right. It was just a mental thing." I-, I wonder how quickly that creeps up if they go through another dry spell, right? Like it actually feels super important to me that. They get another one either tonight or tomorrow that they actually capitalize again. Otherwise, I think you're back to square one, and the, none of this matters. Yeah, JD, you know you're you're right about that. In the in that you, you got like I said, it's it's got to be kind of a, a blasting off point that you do it right. now. Otherwise, you're back. And 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 to your point, if you don't have a good power play and there's no and there's no price to pay for the other team taking penalties, they'll take more liberties. And and uh, um, the Leafs kind of effectively their skill one out Montreal wasn't able to play that as much that physical style in game number two but uh, if they're able to do that which would dictate the game more in Montreal's favor and then if there it basically is impunity when they're killing a penalty um, yeah then then they can go at it a little bit more and take more chances and be a little bit more aggressive so you know the, the, like like I say the different uh, the different narratives game to game you see it and I mean who would have thought Washington Capitals were three minutes away from a 2 nothing lead, and here they shook hands yesterday. And, you know, the, all these different kind of narratives. The Winnipeg-Edmonton game yesterday, and we'll find out what the narrative is after tonight's game. But it should be, like, this is where Toronto Maple Leafs should, you know, take control of the series. You know, take do what they did the other day, and, and also hopefully carry on getting the power play back in a, in a positive gear. Well, Dom Ducharme is trying to frame the narrative as the Toronto Maple Leafs are getting the benefit of a of a very favorable whistle, to which I would say, I mean, when you dominate the time of possession, when you have the puck the whole time, and then when your head coach is making ridiculous challenges, uh, that adds to the 6-1 <laughs> power play uh, discrepancy. But it also is the National Hockey League, and we see this in-game, evening it up, and I, I wonder if there's a fear from you, Gord, that that there would be an like an in-series evening it up, that you go from one game where it's a 6-1 power play advantage and the Canadians aren't going to ease their foot off the physicality, like it's the only chance they have in this series, that there would be some sort of re- rectifying of the power play opportunities in this game tonight in Montreal. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny, Ben, over the weekend, and it started with Brindamore, and his team was actually leading then. Then Craig Berube, then John Cooper, his team's leading, and then Ducharme that, 
they all, they all, I don't know. I don't know if it's a traditional, you got to go at the officiating. Um, who's going to officiate if they all think they suck, right? You're going to move guys around. And anyway, it just, I don't know if it's the one off that they kind of look at and kind of show the uh, team they have their back to a degree. But, uh, you know, it's funny. Tim Peel basically got fired for being caught basically trying to say he was trying to officiate the game by a little bit of an evening up process that way. And, you know, the constant complaint is, oh, yeah, the pebbles, one pebble in one pocket, a pebble in the other. You're always evening it up. And then when they call it like we say we want the game supposed to be called, which means usually or quite often a disparity in the numbers, people get ticked. So uh, I I would hope that the good officials uh, don't get swayed by that. Uh, And, and, you know, at the end of the day, J.D. and Ben, I still think – if you're an elite team, okay, like the Colorado Avalanche looks like they are right now. I mean, you look at what Jordan Bennington did in game number one. He played a phenomenal game for St. Louis against them. Like you overcome injuries, you overcome in you overcome in different officiating. Like you in you, you don't have, and you overcome exceptional goaltending. Like you got you find a way if you're an exceptional team, which the Leafs should be in the Scotia North. Okay, those things are not enough to impede you from winning a series. No, and frankly the way that they've played um, in spite of the Tavares injury and the way that things happened that I, I don't know how anyone could watch these games even the most optimistic Montreal fan who says like hey they split the series and that's what you want like of course for sure for sure for sure but the process of these games has been pretty pretty clearly Toronto is the better team Toronto has now had multiple periods where it felt like Montreal like didn't even touch the puck and maybe squeaked away with a couple of scoring opportunities later in a period. Like, both second periods of this series have been so unbelievably one-sided for Toronto that, yeah, if you're a Montreal fan, I think you just have to hope that Carey Price can be Carey Price and that Jack Campbell eventually turns into a pumpkin or lets in a bad goal or two and that Toronto kind of finds itself spiraling. Because, yeah, to me, the top-end talent here... Like, these two teams are just in different places of, of where they're supposed to be. And I know Montreal went quote-unquote all-in, and they make the Anderson move, and all of this stuff. They have Weber, they have Price, but ultimately, like, I think the guys that are going to matter the most for Montreal when they're trying to win a Stanley Cup are, are years away from being where Toronto stars are. And that's yeah, what this no, series comes down yeah. to. Yeah, absolutely. And even a little bit of the physicality on D, which was a factor for them in the playoffs, you saw Wayne Simmons kind of go out at the end and just kind of, sort of neutralize that saying this is a different Toronto team that way. But, you know, J.D. and Ben, you mentioned funny little quirky things. I was surprised. So Kakanyemi plays, and then he scores, and then he holds those four fingers up. Like, what's like, like was he in prison somewhere with those three yeah. other guys? Like, <laughs> no, it's like, like the Leafs are going to score four goals after this. It's going to be incredible. I mean, yeah, like the Fab Four, like these three other mates there, the four of them were, you know, I, there's healthy scratches on both sides. I mean, Pierre Engvall didn't hold it up for whoever he sat with in game one. Like, I'm just, like, do people get, is there discord there more than we see in Montreal? I thought that was pretty uh, a pretty dramatic statement for, like, game two. And you won game one, by the way, a game you were a healthy scratch. Yeah, um... It was great for me because the Leafs won and I got to point out that the Habs took him over Brady Kachuk, which is going to go down as potentially one of the worst decisions in the draft in the last 10 years. Um, so I enjoyed that a lot. Um, I had no problem with it. I was like, good for you, Kuck and Yemi. Enjoy your healthy scratch game one. You're the third overall pick in a draft. Uh, what? It wasn't last year. It was 2018. So uh, it's kind of a bad thing for you to do. But anyway, yeah, great. Kuck and Yemi's in the lineup. Caulfield's in the lineup. Those guys should have always been in the lineup. And I actually kind of view this one as 
Oof, I, I hate to be like overly critical of coaches because, again, I don't understand the game on that level, and I think it's a hard job, and we always point out the mistakes. But Ducharme, to me, it's like, what are you doing? So now you're acknowledging Caulfield should be in the lineup when everyone all along thought that you needed more skill, and so far you just haven't had real game breakers and real moments where you've looked threatening. And the challenge where your own goaltender, who's a Hall of Famer, doesn't even make a peep about it, and everyone's watching at home exactly what's happening, and and like I I don't I don't even know where that came from. Like I couldn't even pick up the one piece of the play that inspired them to even think that through. And and now when you're starting to make these moves, now now it starts to feel a little scrambly, and I, I do wonder how his group is going to respond to this. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, part of the thing you find out later was there was a challenge going on in the Minnesota-Vegas game at the same time. People wondered why the officials took forever, and probably part of it is they couldn't believe there was actually a challenge, but also the war They were like, had... this is the goal that you want? Like, yeah. we just send it back to double-check. This is the one where there's nothing that happens and price isn't touched at all, and there's no also possible want... thing. They wanted <laughs> yeah. to hear Enter Sandman for its yeah. entirety as well. <laughs> yeah, they're well, like, we love Metallica. Well, well... Ducharme loves Metallica. Well, my, my dad's job years ago, he was Ernie the TV repairman. I was going to send him to help them because I think yeah. they felt there must be something wrong with this picture because I don't, I, don't, I don't see anything. But I'll tell you, Ducharme, it's interesting that he, he, he let his um, strategy out like four days before. Like normally nobody says anything, but four days before he said, these, these guys aren't going to dress, so you knew that kind of strategy. And, and you even go back that, you know, in Claude Julian's case, it almost seemed like, like if you're starting a season and you're ready to, find a co- ready to fire a coach – you know, at first blush, then you should have fired the guy in the off season. Like it's obviously no. Ducharme was is 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 Bergevin's guy, and that's fine. You know, that's fine. He's entitled to pick who his guys were, but it wasn't like they were off to a horrible start. It's not like they did any better really under Ducharme. And I and I just found that's that's never like it's kind of like the year before when when uh, when Babcock and Dubas weren't you knew what they weren't on the you know yeah. the same channel starting the season. And there's an element of dysfunctionalness, and it showed with the Leafs that way. And I, I you know again with Montreal. You know, making this move, I, I, I said you got to go deeper with Julian, or you should have fired him and made this change in the off season. That's just my opinion. Yeah, uh, Julian had a better record. Uh, I think uh, Ducharme was about five hundred since he took over. Yeah, it was like the exact same. They yeah. like I was going to say. I think that the records were either identical or Julian was a game or two better. It was yeah. not uh, not the biggest success story of firing a coach. I would say. Uh, no doubt. Uh, it's been a pretty good success story here in Toronto so far, but we'll see. Uh, Gord, great stuff as always, buddy. Talk to you soon. Hey, thanks, guys. Enjoy the hockey. See you, bud. We will. Gord Stelikos of Leafs Nation Free and Post. You can uh, mm-hmm. hear him and Nick Alberga before and after every Toronto Maple Leafs game, including mm-hmm. tonight and tomorrow, back-to-backs, and maybe Jack Campbell playing in both of them. Uh, if he yeah. has the workload that he's had in the first two, I don't think it's not, it's not unheard of. In fact, it was interesting to hear that back in the day, in like the 60s, they did play playoff games on back-to-backs, but guys were also hacking darts and probably weren't in the same physical shape. Mm. <laughs> Cardiovascularly. Uh, I, I, there's just... here. This is where I'm at with the goaltending. If you win tonight and Jack plays well and it doesn't matter how many shots Montreal puts on him, blah, 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 you no, you leave Jack Campbell in the net. Like, you – to take him out and to play Freddie Anderson at this point would be – yeah. I, I don't think Freddie Anderson would be incapable of having a good game. I don't well, think that I think that's even be... part of it. 
Like, yeah. do you even want that? Do you want that on you, Ricky Bobby, well, yeah, for course. like Freddie Anderson? Yeah. Well, what are you of course talking you want about? It, Would you but rather saying... have the <laughs> the Leafs win and both goalies are going well and both guys yes. feel good and you got a tough decision to make? Yeah, I would rather have that. I don't think but that here... Jack Campbell would step into the net and immediately just crumple and no. not be able to handle that stress at all. No, 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 no. It doesn't matter. None of that narrative stuff. Don't get the narrative stuff in here, but it doesn't matter. Jack Campbell has played exactly the way that you want a Toronto Maple Leafs goaltender to play right now, which is don't cost them the game. You don't have to be the better goaltender. Carey Price has been the better goaltender in the series so far. He was spectacular and stole them a game that they should not have won in game one. Jack Campbell has yet to steal a game. All you need is this version of Jack Campbell. This is what we talked about before the series started when yeah. we had on Kevin Woodley, the goaltending expert, where he said, hey, listen, actually, if you look at the data that we have in the advanced goaltending community, it would tell you a story that Jack Campbell is pretty mediocre and that he's slightly above average. That's all you need, slightly above average in this series. You're not supposed to have the best of everything. You just have to have good here. Just yeah. play well here. And if the kid plays well, you leave him in the net and you don't screw around. That's it, period. No other discussion, no rest, no nothing, no, but does it mess with the feng shui of the two guys, the mentality? No, 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 no. Is Jack Campbell, like, this is the thing with Sheldon Keefe, we said it. Just keep it simple. Keep it simple. Don't overthink it. Put the best players on the ice with the best players. Put the guys in who can provide you offense and who played better at the end of the year over the guys that showed up in a trade and hadn't played hockey all year. Put the better goalie in the net and leave the better goalie in the net. Put the better defenseman on your power play than the guy who is not as good of a defenseman who sits in the press box as your 70. Keep it simple. Jack Campbell, Jack Campbell, Jack Campbell until he forces your hand for no Jack Campbell. I mean, that's what I was saying. That's what I was saying. Yeah, but you just said this thing about, like, do you even want Freddie Anderson well, yeah, to play but what, well? No, that's what the, I didn't – you wouldn't even let me finish. I didn't say that. That's what you thought I was going to say. That's what you put on me. Run the tape back, Lance. Run the tape. Yeah, here, I'll said, tell you what the tape was. Want that. And you don't even want that. And you're like, blah, 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 blah. And then it was a yeah, bunch of you. Yeah, blah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, you no, do you even want to throw a wrench into this? Obviously not, because this is – here's the reality of the situation – Freddie Anderson played pretty similar to uh, similarly to the way Jack Campbell has played in these first two games the last three, four years in the postseason. The problem has been this team has required more than league average goaltending to win these hockey games. They've required their goaltenders to steal them a game or two. He's attempted to do this, as you've rightly pointed out, uh, in game six against the Boston Bruins a couple of years ago. Didn't work out. They don't need that this year. Hard to envision them needing it going forward the way the Montreal Canadiens grinded out uh, for offense. But yeah, you I will say no too, reason though, to like, mess with it. The, the no reason to mess with it. Like, of course, Montreal, I think, is doing the right thing now and putting Caulfield in. If he scores, if they lose this series in seven, Montreal, I, I think you're going to always have to wonder what it would have looked like if you had him in the lineup for game two, a guy who maybe puts Toronto down 2 nothing, and then they don't climb out of that hole with Jason Spezza. Um, but Montreal looks so much scarier now. You know, I don't think that they have the one line that you try and shut down. So the Riley Nash thing remains to me the same, but... If you just look at Montreal's line combinations now, they just have 
scary guys on every line. Mm-hmm. Like guys who um guys who make you feel a little uncomfortable on every line. Yeah. Somebody can score on every line. Like there's Tofoli with Gallagher and Kotkaniemi. Suzuki's with Caulfield. I think both of those guys are scary. Obviously Anderson and is is somebody that has given Toronto fits at times and he's going to be in the matchup line. Uh I it never will I'll never put it past, you know, Corey Perry to come up with a timely goal. So yeah, this is a big Do you think this is a bigger game for Toronto or Montreal? I think it's a bigger game for Toronto. No question. Well, again, like this, it goes this back win. to game 1 where if yeah. the Leafs win game 1, it's almost you get to the point of you start writing off this team that is clearly inferior that was the huge underdog going into the series. Anytime that they're uh-huh. trailing in the series, you get visions in your head of this being right. a short one. I think it's insanely more important for the Montreal Canadiens. And you mentioned the 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 scary at least a, a scary offensive player on each of top uh-huh. three and maybe four Montreal Canadiens. They're like a poor man's Winnipeg Jets when we have evaluated why that was such a hard matchup for the Maple Leafs, where it's goaltending and you make a mistake and then they score on the rush. Like that's mm-hmm. that's the the path to victory for the Montreal Canadiens. I think it's a bigger game for Toronto because if they fall down again in the series and now you're facing the prospect of being in Montreal, and I know there's no fans, so I'm not really sure what to make of home ice, but you have guaranteed that game six at minimum of being in their building where there will be some fans. It just... I don't want to see this team with their backs against the wall in this series. I think it could be very reminiscent to Raptors stuff in the past where the Raptors were the better team and they fell behind and they showed up and they had big moments and they came back and they won the series. But I, I do think that there's a level of importance for Toronto here to say, hey, we, like, we've said this before, I wanted to see dominance in the series, but I don't think it's just important for the psyche of the fans. I think that it's important for the psyche of the team to feel like, hey, they have a- we have actually taken real meaningful steps towards growth and now a team that simply says we're going to try to be physical with us and has a couple of scary but younger guys who are at different points in their development and some guys who are a little long in the tooth and maybe past their primes like and Gallagher who's probably the guy who's in the sweet spot he and Toffoli Gallagher I think is hurt or at least he's dealing with something he's not 100% so I I just think Toronto's got to take care of business tonight. You got to go into a back-to-back where you don't have a scenario of the goalie that's unproven in that scenario down a game, have to have the must-win, be in Montreal, have to face those ghosts, have to face that pressure. That yeah, that this is a big one tonight. They're all big ones. I, I guess that's so lame of me to say. It's talking head of me to say, but yeah, this feels especially big. Like one-one. You got to score the hockey puck. You have to mm-hmm. score the hockey puck. Team with more goals will win this game, I would say. Yeah, no, here's what you don't want. Mm -hmm. You don't want to have to go seven games against the Indiana Pacers and seven games against the Miami Heat, and you're like, hey, we did it! And then you go six against LeBron James, and that's a victory, which it really Mm -hmm. was, but yeah, kind of handed you a couple of those games before smashing you. Stahl is out, by the way. It's not Tatar. Stahl is out of the lineup tonight, and it's apparently he's not 100%. Okay. All right, then. Breaking news. All right, when we come back, uh, former Toronto Maple Leaf, current Flyers forward, James Van Riemsdyk joins the show next. It's a good show. Ben Ennis, J.D. Bunkus, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, we're making up for lost time. 
what, eight days between the end of the regular season and the start of this series between the Toronto Maple Leafs and Montreal Canadiens, and now they're coming fast and furious. Back-to-back mm-hmm. back tonight and tomorrow in Montreal against the Canadiens. And uh, perhaps our next guest paying close attention to his former teammates, James Van Riemsdyk, uh, Flyers forward, former Leaf forward, joins us on the line right now. James, thanks for doing this. How's it going? I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? Doing good, buddy. So I guess the first thing that I thought of when I was looking at when we were going to talk about this interview was how much you actually still track this team because what really stuck out is how much turnover there's been. Like, I feel like you were just on this team, and you were. Like, it was three years ago. But I think by count one, two, three, four, five, six, there's only seven guys that are still on the same team that you were on. It's incredible the amount of turnover on this Leafs team. Yeah, you know what? I think uh, just looking around the league now, especially in the salary cap era with the, the cap staying a little more stagnant now for the next couple of years, I think that's pretty common. But to be, to be honest, I kind of thought it was a bu- more guys than you would think otherwise just because of uh, some of those other things. So uh, certainly, again, they're definitely now, uh, just with how things work and the economics of the game, I feel like there definitely is a lot more uh, turnover. Well, yeah, and I counted Dermot on that list, and he was a rookie who played, like, I think uh, 30 games with you guys. So I was, like, being kind of generous yeah, with yeah. with who was even still there. But, yeah, the core of this year's team was the same, essentially. But they were all, like, obviously coming into their own. You had Matthews, Riley, Marner. I'm guessing, like, are you still – I'm guessing that you're still in contact with at least a couple of these guys, like, fairly frequently, maybe not throughout the playoffs, but – that, yeah, you do mean maintain relationships with these guys, that you do have an interest in, in what's going to happen with this team this year, right? Yeah, definitely. I think, uh, again, I had some uh, really great friendships I developed uh, over my time there and uh, keep in touch with a bunch of those guys that you just mentioned. So uh, yeah, definitely happy to see, uh, see them having uh, the success that they've been having uh, this year. Yeah, I mean, we'll see because they lose this round and... I mean, you know Toronto media, you know this fan base. Um, it's not going to go well. <laughs> it's not going to go well. They lose a, a playoff series to Montreal, man. So, yeah, uh, I know you keep in touch with these guys. I know that it was probably very strange, especially this year, because, you know, you're probably only focusing really on your division. Like we've seen and talked to a bunch of guys who it's like watching tape was different, game preparation was different. And so, yeah, some of it has probably been peripheral, but... When you see Austin Matthews now versus the Austin Matthews that you played with, what what comes to mind? Yeah, I think uh, just speaking to him is uh, just the way he's able to, uh, again, obviously the way he came into the league and basically started producing at such a great rate right off the hop. Um, uh, again, just the adjustments that he's able to make over the course of his career and um, just continue to add elements uh, to his game that make him more successful. I mean, that's one of the things, too. It's like as much as uh, he has that calling card of his shot, just the different elements and different ways he's been able to score is pretty impressive. It's not like you can when, – when he scores a goal, it's not necessarily going to be something that you see the same sort of play over and over again. I feel like he's added a lot of different uh, elements to his game in, in that sense, and obviously the chemistry that him and Mitch seem to have together is uh, pretty fun to watch for uh, – yeah, you got some people disagreeing in your car, it sounds like, but yeah. Yeah, uh, Yeah, I was just going to say, that's my daughter. She's uh, We're just on a, a road trip home here from seeing some family up yeah. in the Boston area. So, uh, so yeah, she, you might hear her uh, trying to uh, make her appearance felt there. 
Yeah, she did. She's, she she's good job. It. Yeah, it sounded like us today. Actually, it sounded like us after yeah, Leaf lost and uh, the way we screamed yeah. for, three, uh, for three hours. Um, yeah. But yeah, I've also you know just the the post game media interactions that Matthews has, the confidence and the poise that he's having in these postseason games, and uh, there's a resume starting to build for him. Like this isn't new for him. He hasn't been out of the first round, but. What do you make of that? Because you saw him in the infancy of his of his postseason career, his ability to not get overwhelmed by these huge moments for this team that can really be defining moments in his career. Yeah, I think, too, he came in with a lot of that sort of swagger that he earned basically at every other level that he's played at as far as just the success uh, he's been able to have. And I think he's someone that's really confident in his process uh, of just being a good player and improving and the different things that he tries to work on or looks for uh, is what makes him so special and what makes him uh, continually getting better uh, year in, year out. And now you add all the experience that he has now at this level. I mean, uh, obviously, he's, he's uh, continues to grow into that uh, more of that leadership sort of thing. And when you've been through, uh, been through the league now a few years and, and through different playoff series and stuff like that, you know, what to expect a lot more and I think you're just that that kind of natural progression of the confidence that you gain from that um, no, is something that you're saying with him you know man though I always think like and, and I don't mean to overly generalize because I don't think that everybody's the same but there is something to like the U.S. hockey swagger that I do think is very different with the Canadian thing like the Canadian, I'm just saying that it really does always feel like Canadian, it's very much like you never want to take any credit for your work. It's always everybody else. And that's part of hockey culture for sure, too. But that, yeah, you just look around the league at a lot of like the American-born players, and there just does seem to be a little bit of a different element in terms of like a connection to other sports where great players are like, yeah, it's okay to acknowledge that I'm great, and it's okay to be able to take on these moments and feel like I can shine here. Yeah, that could be part of it. I think, too, is just a different uh, route that you generally see the American guys take, particularly the, the high-end guys, that you come through that U.S. program where you're pretty much kind of tapped at uh, 16 years old as being one of the, the best players in the country, and you kind of, again, get a certain element of confidence that comes from that, too. So I think uh, because of that, a little bit of those uh, differences, I think ultimately, like you mentioned, you maybe have a little different personality um and, and things that, that come out with that just based on those different sort of routes that, that you see the players take. Yeah, I just always think about, um, I can't remember what year it was at the juniors, those American players singing the USA Hockey Till I Die. I think it was 2021, actually. I think it was the most recent one. Yeah, it was this and they're just the most ripping, recent one. Yeah, that, they're just ripping that out of the dressing room. I'm like, there's just no way in hell Team Canada would ever have that, you know? Like, there's just no. If that if that got caught on tape, like Team Canada doing that, there'd be like uh, referendums in the country. They'd be like, "Oh, have we lost our game? You know, it's just we're we're we're, we're, we're really we're turned into poor sports yeah. here, eh?" <laughs> yeah, that 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 song actually originally started my first year, I think, at the uh, the U.S. program out there. The boxing coach uh, Kurt Kulik was his name. Um, he was he, he he was a a, a wild personality and um, it was almost a little bit of a militant like uh, workouts that we go through with him and he had this kind of this chance that that we'd have for some of the workouts and it kind of it, I think it's evolved a little bit over the years but it kind of started as that and it's been it was funny to see I think uh, the uh, the ninety birth year when that when it was there last year of World Juniors that's when that 
when they when they when they caught that on tape when we when the U.S. won the World Juniors for the first time, um, and they had that, and now it's it's funny to see it all these years later, and uh, knowing that you're there when it kind of was getting uh, morphed into what it is now. Dude, it's so badass. I like hate that you guys have it. That it's so 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 badass. Like I saw it and I was like, oh yeah, obviously they won. Like how do they not win every year with that song? Like that's just like, a, you know, you watch it and it's like, yeah. I, even now, like I can genuinely like Benny can see it down the camera, oh, like gross. hair standing on ends on the arm because yeah. it's just like, god damn, that's what it's supposed to be about. Okay, so I got one more for you too. That's like kind of like more about you, which is I, every time I watch playoffs, I think, okay, first of all, one of the hardest jobs to do in all of hockey is to be a net front guy. It's just impossible. Like I. I don't know, again, how much of the series you're watching, but, man, Zach Hyman has eaten some cross-checks where I have to wonder whether, you know, he's human um, and whether he takes pain or what it is. But, yeah, again, through an 82-game season, you are one of the best at it. You're a net front guy. You take a lot of abuse in front of there. But watching someone like Shea Weber during the playoffs where it's just like he's allowed to basically just commit assault on you no, all game $5, long. No, fine, $5,000. Yeah, allowed. yeah, five grand. Now <laughs> now Shea Weber's like, I'm not going to do it anymore. I, <laughs> I learned my lesson. He's probably thinking five, five grand oh. well spent. <laughs> oh, dude, oh, yeah. he's so thrilled. He's, there's nothing Shea Weber <laughs> has spent money on that he enjoyed more than that cross check. Like five grand, he's so happy. He's thrilled with it. But, yeah, how you kind of prep yourself or – yeah, just how you sort of deal with that. Because, again, you guys are human beings, and that is lumber being laid across your spines and shoulders. And it's just – it's a Jeez. lot. It's a lot, man. It's a lot. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, like you mentioned, too, in the playoffs, that uh, they let let you play a little bit more. And there's a lot more of those uh, kind of confrontations, uh, particularly around the net. So I think definitely depending on your role within the team or your style of play, uh, you're going to be there more often than other nights. So I, again, for me, I just kind of viewed it as just part of the job description of what I, what I need to do to be successful and to help uh, a team win. So uh, there's, there's uh, again, you get some lumps in front there and stuff like that, but, uh, but ultimately it's just part of doing your job and um, trying to help the team win games. And uh, you got to pay the price to, to score goals just because all, obviously as you, as you see all these goals get scored right around the net like that. Yeah. Um, see, I think your daughter's like, I don't like thinking about you in front of the net like that, Dad. Like, yeah. I, don't like, uh, <laughs> exactly. I don't like you willingly accept yeah. that. He's like, you know, maybe yeah. you show up at uh, maybe you show up at uh, preseason next year and start talking about how you want to run the, the half wall. Like, maybe you start doing that. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, that'll yeah. be my daughter's recommendation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely will be. Um, how much, like, again, you're known as a power play guy. Like, you know, you were one of the best that we've seen in this city. And... I wonder how you start to feel when a power play that has a lot of talent doesn't click for a while and how it can compound itself mentally. Yeah, well, when you're in those positions, I think you get a lot of your confidence just for your overall game um, at five-on-five. Five. So it's funny when you get maybe like a cheesy assist or something like that, even on the power play, even if you just didn't even really do much, but you kind of, as a, as a guy who's expected to produce, it can kind of get that confidence uh, rolling, so uh, it's that fine line of uh, again not trying to let when you're getting what's not going your way, letting it bleed into the rest of your game. But uh, certainly, yeah, that's I think you saw it last year with Tampa, where uh, I don't know how many points Kucherov had on the power play, but he was unbelievable the whole way, and um, that obviously kind of helps uh, helps your confidence as a player and is able to help you produce more five on five, in my opinion. So. Um, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where you can uh, it can help uh, build out the rest of your game. You get to touch the puck a little bit 
um, and things like that and uh, make those plays that you need to make to, to produce and it just keeps uh, snowballing from there. Yeah, what you're saying makes a whole lot of sense. That's why it was uh, especially confusing. Well, at least power play wasn't going because they're five-on-five game. They were picking up points there. They were looking pretty good offensively, and then when they got the man advantage, it wasn't happening. But that small sample, it's fixed. Uh, two uh, power play goals in game two against the Montreal Canadiens. James, uh, thanks for doing this. Enjoy the rest of your co- uh, cross-country drive uh, with your young daughter who's keeping you entertained. <laughs> Yeah, she'll be uh, she'll be uh, piping up in the back seat. So uh, yeah, that'll be good. See you, man. Thanks, <laughs> Thanks for doing James. this. Take care, buddy. Yeah, all right. Take care, guys. Yeah, bye. James Van Riemsdyk flyers forward, puts like uh, file folders in the soles of his skates because mm-hmm. he likes it so finely tuned. Remember that being a story. It was one of Sean McKenzie's great ones. But the skates, the equipment, got to put the you got to cut out the file folders, put it underneath mm-hmm. his insoles and his skates. Imagine if in soccer, in bigger games, it was like, hey, if you get into the box, slide tackle you a little bit more from behind, like really put the cleats in the back of your legs. Yeah, Hockey's wild like that. <laughs> There's no other sport. Like, imagine, big game, it's the Super Bowl. Tom Brady steps back, and he lets go of the football. And, oh, here comes the defensive end. Frank Clark cracks him helmet to helmet, but it's the playoffs, so we're going to let it fly. It's fine. Five grand later for Frank Clark for smoking Tom Brady that way. Like, I don't know. I I think that's one of the things that if you are a hockey fan, you like don't even think about. And it's one of the things I miss about watching hockey with people who are not big fans of the sport is the first times that they start to see the guys in front of the net like eat the punishment that they eat. Like you see Zach Hyman take that shot in game one and go like, oh my God, do you know how strong Shea Weber is? Like, do you have any idea of how nasty a human being that guy is? Like he's the closest thing we have in the NHL to what Pronger was. And he took a stick and he ripped it (laughs) across your back or into the side of your rib cage. And everyone in hockey is just like, price you pay. And everyone else that watches that sport is like, oh, my God, what just what did I just watch? And I love, too, when hockey fans are squeamish about UFC. That's always my favorite, where people are like, I can't watch UFC. It's too violent for me. And then they watch Shea Weber cross-check somebody in the head, and they go, it's a good hockey play. I wish I had a guy like Shea Weber. <laughs> I didn't know that there was such a person oh, yeah. who was critical does. of the UFC who was also a hockey fan. I, I Yeah. I do kind of love that. It's barbaric, they say. (laughs) (laughs) So were you being critical of of the postseason that those those plays are more common and less called? No, I'm not being critical. I actually like it. I, I, dude, I love the physical nature of sports. Like, I don't want guys to be unsafe. I think that plays like the one that Nazem Kadri doled out, where it's in the middle of the ice and you're leaving your feet and you're going up into a head, or the things that you got to get rid of. I think that dirty shots from behind when they're hits are horrific. I think that chicken wings, all that stuff, like nobody wants that a part of the game. I don't like seeing any of that. No one wants anyone getting injured. And if you do, then I genuinely think there's something wrong with you in the sense of you are putting too much stock into your sports, okay? And I put a lot in. Like I do this for a living. I care about it to a really strange amount for someone in his 30s now to be this emotionally invested and to be this petty and all these things, right? Like... But if you're hoping someone gets hurt or you don't feel bad when you see somebody get hurt, then, yeah. Or you don't want to take preventative measures, then, of course. But, you know, you and I, this gets back to the theme of something we've been talking a lot about privately lately, which is risk assessment, right? So 
what would I rather have? Like something where guys sign up for it and understand it, where they know the playoffs are going to be more physical and guys are going to take liberties, but for the most part, they're going to do it in a way that's not with intent to injure. Yeah, I want that. I think that's great. I think it's really, really cool about sports that we test human potential, you know, and part of human potential, I think, is enduring some toughness. Like, I I don't want to go here, but there was those ads, right? They weren't through Sportsnet, but you can guess where they were from, where it was like, oh, yeah, the toughness of the NHL, and everybody jumped down the throat of them and was like, this is so insensitive, and I was like, what are you talking about? Like, if it's insensitive, then you're not watching the sport, and you don't know what it is, and you should leave. Like, go away. Like, it's not for you. You're making me angry again. Because what I was about to say is I love the story, which is like been told ad nauseum, and you have all know it about that first Gretzky Oilers team to lose to the Islanders in the cup final. And, you mm-hmm. know, they're all fine. And they realize that the Islanders can barely celebrate. They're so beaten down physically after mm-hmm. the sacrifices they made physically to win the Stanley Cup. And at that point, yes, the story goes that – Wayne Gretzky and that Oilers team understood what it took to win a Stanley Cup and they went on a bit of a run after that I would say. I love that idea of coming out of the postseason and again, no, I'm not rooting for injuries either, but like guys are like, here are the list of injuries that I've sustained. Like Patrice Bergeron, when he's on every single postseason, you wait for the laundry list of injuries Patrice Bergeron has suffered and how many punctured lungs he's had throughout the course of the postseason. I love that. It's still a physical game. One of the few physical games we have left in the world, and it's less physical, and that's good too, to a degree. But no, this is where you not throw caution to the wind, but think less about your own physical well-being to win a Mm -hmm. hockey game. Yeah, I I think it's admirable, and I think part of the reason that we watch is that people will endure that kind of punishment to win, and that the reason that people get so emotionally invested is when the players get that emotionally invested. So anyway, um, I think we're doing a bit of a straw man. Um, I don't nah, know not how when many you people are bring up that that thing with the commercial. Yeah, I but again, I think that, that for a while. it's, I'd it's forgotten, trendy. I'd forgotten. Yeah, but it's again, you and I have talked about this. It's trendy to crap on sports right now. It is. It's part of the. Re- it just. It is. It's trendy to crap on sports and have it be like I like certain little elements of sport, but I think if you care about sports or if you like anything dangerous in sport or. Uh, or, you know, that it's just an easy thing to dunk on. And so, and you'll get a cheap pop and whatever. And I think that there's a lot of people who cover sports who are pretenders who really don't love what they do and will do whatever they can to take cheap shots at the sports to act like they're above it. I just, I do. I'm sorry. All right. We have breaking news at uh, Leafs oh. Morning Skate. Uh, this is from Kyle Bukoskis, who's there. No sign mm-hmm. of Nick Felino and Riley Nash No sign? No sign of Nick Foligno. Riley Nash is on the ice. Hmm. So this is just happening at the moment. But this is a I guy mean, that would be devastating. Suffered a significant injury. They're already down their second-line centerman, which uh, he was uh, playing for a large degree in game two to lose him. And obviously it's not a situation where Riley Nash is being thrown into that position, but it's, uh, I don't know. They don't want Riley Nash playing play. with uh, William Nylander on line two. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. They don't want that. Yeah, that's that. That's definitely not happening. But what does it mean? Um, not good is what it means. Yeah, because Nash is skating on the the Galchenyuk Nylander line at practice, and maybe it's just a situation where he's mm-hmm. 
harboring some nicks and bruises and he's going to be okay for game time but doesn't want to mm-hmm. take the the morning skate but at the moment that's the only change in the lineup at, at practice and again we're talking about a guy in Felino who was helped off the ice like just a matter of a couple of weeks ago and we were surprised at his return to action as quickly as it was and now it was not at the morning skate which portends i don't know scary stuff mm. <laughs> this is I don't not like, like how you ended the show i sorry yeah you didn't have to do that I Nobody didn't? needed to know. No, it's fine. <laughs> All Could right. have just let me not have this and not worry. Anyway, I'm going to assume Nick Felino's fine. That's the type of world I want to live in right now, right? I'm not prepared for losing Tavares and Nick Felino, like two of my favorite guys to watch. Okay, Love. hooray, happy days. <laughs> not stressed at all. I was actually going to talk about how it's nice doing this show before on game days because I feel a little less stressed out in the moment. It's fun, blah, 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 and now I feel the worst. So congrats. Thanks to you. Goodbye. Uh, all right, uh, we'll be back tomorrow. Bye-bye.